Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show with the host whose only resolution this year is to learn how to spell resolution. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine, coming to you for the final show of the year of 2021. And on this week's episode, a tobacco review of Dan Tobacco's Hamburger Veermaster. Uh, I get to smoke that. I've already smoked it, but I'll tell you all about that. And then my guest is uh, Rich Esserman, and Rich is back with answering some of your questions and discussing that in particular. We're going to talk about uh, bowl sizes and uh, magnums, so all kinds of bowl size discussion and magnums. Uh, Plus, there's a jewel in the discussion about learning to pack a pipe, so you got to listen all the way to the end of the uh, discussion for that. Uh, holiday music we'll finish all that up mailbag and a rant all that coming up on this week's episode of the pipes magazine radio show uh before we get started please leave an itunes or apple podcast rating and review we much appreciate those and uh would greatly appreciate you taking some time out of your uh out of your day to go over to apple Podcasts, leave a rating and review Uh, If you are in a uh, country that is not the United States, please continue to do that. And then if you'd like, take a screen capture of it for me and email it to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com. That way I can read it on the show because the only time I can see those is when I'm in a foreign country. And uh, that's not happening for a while. So please do that. And uh, keep sharing out the Pipes Magazine radio show wherever you happen to listen to the, wherever you happen to know there are other pipe smokers. So just keep sharing that out. Appreciate all that. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, Pipe Parts, Tobacco Review Time, Hamburger Veermaster from uh, Dan Tobacco of Germany. And uh, this one was requested a while, while, while back. I bought it a while back, and I held off on doing this review because I was hoping availability would become easier or, you know, it would be easier to get the tobacco because I, I really, really, really hate doing a review of a tobacco that's just not available. Um, but it's still having uh, supply issues. So here it is anyway. Uh, according to tobaccoreviews.com, uh, it's 
the description catalog is a genuine and classic English Virginia flake, just as the sailors on the Windjammers love to smoke it. The taste of genuine tobacco, not too mild, yet still sweet and mellow. Uh, the slow and cool burn offers the best premises for a quaffable, aromatic, mellow smoking pleasure. And then for some reason it says blow boy blow blow boys blow. Uh, anyway, it's a straight Virginia. Uh, it's a straight Virginia available in a 50 gram tin or a 250 gram bag. Uh, not you know, and, and again, not readily available. Uh, I, I do like the color of the blue label. It's it's kind of a baby blue or Carolina blue. So kind of cool that they use that color. The uh, tin itself, just you know, a regular round tin, nothing, nothing special about it. But when you open it up, there is a nice big round chunk of Virginia flakes in there, and instead of being placed on their side, they're stacked straight up. Uh, the flake does rub out really nice, and as you'll hear noted in one of the uh, uh, one of the reviews of it, yeah, it comes in a little wet. Could use a quick drying. Um, now, I will say that normally during this time of the year, I don't smoke straight Virginias, but we're having a bit of a warm spell, so I thought, you know, all right, I'll give it a try. And I was really impressed with it. Um, very impressive straight Virginia. Less of the, uh, if you compare it to Orlick Golden Sliced or the Dunhill Flake, uh, less of the uh, grassy or hay-like flavors, more of just a Virginia tobacco flavor and what I'm going to guess is a honey topping. Uh, the sweetness does come through. The flakes are easy to work with and the room note is kind of pleasant. Uh, I did smoke it in one of my smaller, uh, my smaller Virginia pipes and then I put it in one of the more medium sized pipes and again, yeah, it just was, it's just a good medium pleasant Virginia. I don't detect anything like a burly in there or any kind of anything else but Virginia's in there. Uh, I will say that I think I've owned this tin now for six, eight months, maybe nine months. So it's had a little bit of time to uh, age further on it. And I think it would do really well at about two or three years, but not much further than that because of the topping to it. Uh, so let's go to some of the reviews because uh, Steve Fallon, the pipe stud, said, uh, if you want a toned-down dose of Orlick Golden Slices with more flavor, then this is the flake for you. It is very mild yet tasty. A slow burn is necessary to fully appreciate the flavor, which is unrelenting in variance. The leaf is of good quality and the flakes rub out easily, but it is too moist at first. I let mine air dry for a few hours before plowing into a second bowl. Uh, if you want a bit more punch to your puff, go elsewhere, young man. If, on the other hand, you enjoy smoking a Virginia as laid back as an old basset hound, well, here you go. Uh, that's uh, that's our uh, our buddy Steve Fallon, the pipe stud, with the uh, you know with the Texas basset hound references. Uh, and then Jim Inks also said, uh, uh, and I'll just pull a part out of this. He found it provides some tart and tangy citrus, tart lemon, a little honey, wood, earth, and bread, um, and a touch of dark fruit. And he also talked about some hay and grass, but uh, he also mentioned it may need a little bit of dry time. 
so there's there's a couple of uh, fairly you know fairly stout reviewers giving it an honest review uh steve gave it four stars and jim inks gave it two stars uh, on smokingpipes.com in their review section uh, one person a uh, jeffrey wrote back in 2015 i bought this based on a recommendation i guess i i guess i should have thought twice when the recommendation came from a cigarette smoker after experiencing virginia flakes from peter stokeby wessex orlick sam gaywith dunhill flake Hamburger Veer Master is very lacking in sweetness and just overall taste. Fairly cigarette-like. I will sell her the rest of the tin and hope for the best. So far, a resounding no for me. Much better out there and much more economical. Uh, anyway, uh, what I thought was funny was he said um, uh, the recommendation came from a cigarette smoker. And then he said it's fairly cigarette-like. And how would you know if it's fairly cigarette-like if you're not a cigarette smoker? Anyway, just a reminder to make sure you read the reviewers that you're listening to. Uh, but it is on the it is on the mild to medium side and can be uh, somewhat enjoyed all day long. So there you go, Dan Tobacco Hamburger Veer Master. Unfortunately, at this time, not available, but. You know, you might catch a tin or two at uh, at a brick and mortar, and yeah, when it comes back in stock, I might be grabbing a few tins. All right, in just a moment, uh, the rich, big rich Esserman or the big pipe guy, Rich Esserman, is back. This is Internet Radio. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over twenty years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at C&D, as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell & Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and uh, joining us for the last show of the year 2021 is uh, uh, the big pipe guy himself, Rich Esserman, uh, Grand Director Poobah of the Doctor of Pipes. Rich, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Great to be here. All right, let's talk about the Doctor of Pipes real quick because uh, uh, nominations for the Masters of Pipes are opening up soon. Am I correct? Yeah, in fact, they have to send out, it'll be probably next week, um, to the other doctors, um, invitations to uh, nominate folks for the doctors of, of pipes now now let, let let's let's clear up how this process works for for everybody listening and uh, and since i say it'll probably won't help in clearing it up but uh the doctors of pipes nominate the next doctors so you you can't just openly send in a nomination for the doctors correct 
That, that right now, I would say to you that's correct, yes. Yeah, now, if you want to get nominated, send your name and a $100 bill. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But the master of pipes, what are the requirements and what is the nomination process? Well, that's a good question. Um, actually, uh, the, the, the masters of pipes started out uh, actually a uh, thought from Pipes and Tobacco's magazine, which, of course, doesn't exist anymore. Rest in peace. Uh, yeah, and what they did was they uh, they were trying to they were trying to uh, uh, get uh, uh, awards to to, uh, to for people who had been in the hobby not necessarily like twenty years or so, but had been in the hobby and were, were younger. Yeah, of course, the average age of a Pipes and Tobacco. Um, a, a, a viewer magazine reader was not exactly young, so it was not a, was not a great idea to begin with. And then what happened is it, the the editor at the time left, and then a new editor came in, and they didn't get a lot of nominations. And so what I say to you is, you can send it into the uh, Chicago Lamp Pipe Club. They have a website, or you could send it. Uh, you could actually send your nomination. Um, to uh, to me, if you want to, but really, it should be going through the Chicago Lamp Pipe Club, and um, they're they're supposed to then look it over, and then forward to me, uh, folks, who who qualify. So, for instance, um, you know, at, you you have a hobby aspect and a, and an industry aspect. So one, and we've had more industry folks than hobbyists for some reason. Like an example, a great example of one of the first guy that made it into the uh, was was Sykes Wilford. Yeah, and you know, of course, everybody knows Sykes and smoking pipes, and and he's a younger guy, and he wasn't in the uh, he was not in the the hobby for for twenty years, you know, and he was he was younger. I think I think you have to be under forty five, forty five and under, and um, he nominated, he got nominated, and and he won, of course. You know, so people could send it. So it's folks like that. I mean, Sykes is a, as an obvious one, but there are people who may who may have a uh, a podcast who are younger, or people that do some some kind of uh, YouTube channel or something like that that you think is worthy of of uh, of, of having the person nominated. I mean, it's an honor. You know, it's an honorary thing, and uh, it's just recognition. As someone who's trying to promote, you know, pipe smoking in the hobby. And as long as they've done it consistently and have contributed something, and as long as they're under the age of 45, send it in. Uh, the uh, website is chicagopipeshow.com slash master dash program. Or if you go to chicagopipeshow.com, you'll find the master program there and all the requirements. And then... Uh, and then it won't get lost in Rich's email of uh, discounts on Chinese food and big pipes for sale, right, Rich? <laughs> yes, that's a, that's the way to go. All right, so let let's here's a topic that has come up, and it's a two pronged topic. Multiple times I've had people ask me, "Let's have Rich talk about this," or "Can you have Rich talk about that?" And what we're talking about is group sizes. And what is the basic dimensions for a group size pipe? And 
what designates it as yeah and then and then after that we'll talk about what you need for your magnum pipe so we're going all the way back to dunhill with the group size what is do you know the actual is there an actual dimension or measurement for what a group one group two group three should be well let me take it back into history a little bit um if you go back into the 19 late early 1900s when dunhill first started to make pipes and then you go back into the catalogs up until uh let's say the late 30s um there really were no group sizes they were just pipes and they were finishes so you could buy what's called an lx which is people know this now it's it's a large sort of uh s-shaped bent it's classical built perfect which is very large pipe. And that could be the same, that was the same price as a small prince. Huh. So, so pipe sizes didn't really happen until the 50s. I mean, Kamoi also had extraordinaires in the 30s and things like that. Those are unique. But there wasn't, there's no, there was nothing that came about. They, I think they did it mainly because it was tough to get briar and they wanted to make more money on a larger pipe. It took more work, took more briar they wanted to charge more so you know you have the you have the early groups coming along uh and and there's no there's no there's no size per se so for instance it's size by the shape so what i mean by that is is that like a group and let's take a group uh, six or an oda bent from dungo they generally range about uh two two and maybe an eighth to two maybe a little over two and uh, five sixteenths. That's the size of a bent, a group six bent. And, and with that, we're with, with that, we're talking bowl height, right? Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Let me, let me be clear. Cause sometimes I'll be talking in shorthand to people and they'll, they'll understand it. But uh, yes, that's a bowl height. And the pipes could be six and a half inches long. And then on the other hand, you can get a print shape which is a much smaller shape itself. And basically a group six prince will be nowhere near as big as a group six bent. I mean, it's the same thing. Billiard may have the same size bowl as a bent. It's a larger pipe. You want to get a poker? It may be a little smaller. You see what I'm saying? Apples yeah. are definitely smaller than a billiard. So there so is a size billiard might be two inches tall. An ODA size, I mean, an ODA size apple might be two inches tall, and an ODA size billiard would be maybe two and a quarter. So they with Barling. Barling had their stamps in the 50s. You see, all this came about in the 50s, where they had the ELXs and LXs and so on and so forth. Yeah, and their EXEXEXELs and all those other gibberish things that I don't know what it means, but I knew that the more that was on there, the more expensive the pipe was as a as a collectible. That's correct. As a collectible, it was. And again, it was really to, to be able to price things to get more money for the larger pipe versus the smaller pipe. Before, it was basically finish. You know, you buy a straight grain or you buy a, a root it was more expensive than a than a shell or whatever that kind of thing do you think that 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 this that the size numbering came along in the in the 40s and 50s because of the 
introduction of mail order catalogs? That's a good question. You know, I don't, I don't know. I think it, I think it came along because what they saw was after the, not in the forties so much, cause that was world people forget that was world war two years. Yeah. And afterwards that was recovery years. But I will say this. I think, I think it became because they wanted the things were scarce and they wanted to make, I think it's all about commercialism. It's not, not about collecting anything. And they wanted to make more money on the larger pipes. Okay. I remember they, they used the, the ODA stamp Dunhill did. Um, they re they resurrected it because the, in the early days in the 1920s and thirties, OD stood for own design. And then the A was the grade of the pipe. So an ODA in 1920s is completely different, say, than an ODA in the 1950s. They just re reused the stamp. And, um, but, but they started to see that Americans especially, uh, wanted to, they wanted bigger pipes and they wanted standard shape pipes and they didn't want these weird quaint shapes. They wanted like billiards and bents and stuff like that. And that's what they were making. <laughs> All right, let's take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about big pipes with the big pipe guy. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Savinelli Pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark, and like you, there can only be one Savinelli. are back on the pipes magazine radio show hanging out with uh, rich esserman and uh yeah, new year's eve is coming up and you live in new york just just tell me or you live in new jersey but did you ever go and watch the ball drop in times square at least once uh no only on tv brian i, de <laughs> I decided that i didn't want to stand down in very frigid weather uh, and stand there for hours and hours and hours <laughs> and, uh, and wait for something, for a ball to drop. Yeah. All right. One of these days I'll run into a New Yorker that's actually done it. Um, yeah. No New Yorkers go, Brian. They're all from out of town. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of going, there's, there's no place to go while you're out there waiting. That's the problem also. Yeah. All right, so think about that while you're watching all those people on New Year's Eve out there freezing to death and knowing that, well, the only thing, <laughs> they may have a warm feeling going down their pants, but that's about it. That's right. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let, let's go back to the group sizes. Um, yeah. For modern day terminology, uh, is there any standardization that you that you give to like a group one, group two, group three, is there any real form of basic measurement except for just saying, all right, you know, group one is going to be the smallest and group six is going to be the biggest and then four and three and four are in the middle? Well, you know, again, it's a, it's a good question um, because, you know, the people use 
Dunhill as a standard, which which is which is fine. Yeah. Um, but but most most pipe makers don't use a size standard per se. Yeah. They might have a giant or some some something for a very large pipe, some notation on their uh, on their pipe, but most don't. So when you talk about like a, a a group six pipe, you're really talking about a pipe that's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of. Like I say, just under two and a half, uh, two and a quarter inches, or just over two and a quarter inches. You know, you're talking about a group five pipe. That's somewhere in the neighborhood of, say, 1.85 to two inches. Yeah. You know, and the same thing with a group four. That's usually like uh, one and three quarters, something like that, or maybe a little taller, depending on the shape. That that's that's a normal size, and that's what normal people. People like normal size pipes, so they mm-hmm. use it as a thing. But for instance, if you're buying a pipe maker, um, like Michael Park, say for instance, you know he makes his standard size pipes, which I have many friends that order from him. They're they're always they're always large. They're always in the neighborhood of a group six plus. That's yeah. his standard. He makes very small. He he's done some smaller pipes, but he doesn't make very many small pipes. And he's made some really gigantic ones, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like I say, Tom Elting. Well, does he make a group size? Uh, not really. I mean, you know, his standard pipes are a little, maybe be a little larger. But then he has a lot of those smaller, um, you know, the uh, the poker type things. And How big are they? Are they a group four or five? Yeah, they're, they're pretty small. They're pretty light. So you know, it, it, again, it, it's all—it's all in your mental. It's—it's it's really a mental thing, you know. How large do you want your pipe? How comfortable are you with your pipe? You know, yeah. do you want to hold it in your mouth? All these kind of things. That's when you start dealing with the size of the pipe. So what you so what you're saying is what I've done, which is made myself familiar with what measurements I need exactly to be a pipe. Uh, in the case of like my my standard workhorse travel pipes i need a three-quarter inch tobacco chamber three-quarter inches wide by one and a half inches deep i need that at a bare minimum i can go up to uh four you know four fifths of an inch but you know not much more than that so we're, we're right around three quarters to four fifths and then one and a half inches is my number and i kind of consider that to be a uh, like a group three and a half or a group four um when i've worked in the in the past couple of years when i was working with uh, jody davis to get him to make some more pipes for me i gave him those dimensions and he said that you know, that's pretty small <laughs> i yeah. said well i don't I'm, I'm sorry but that's what i want <laughs> and and he made them um you know, at the same time, you're talking about L-Tang pokers, and L-Tang pokers have like half that bowl capacity. So, you know, maybe a group two and a half, group two. But again, you got to get familiar with the dimensions that you like. And then thanks to the internet, everybody knows how to measure a pipe with calipers and give you an idea of what sizes are actually are. Um in the uh, in your experience with uh, with collecting OD and and uh, and Dunhill over the years, have you seen a fluctuation in what they would consider to be a like a, a group four five six ODA ODB um, 
has has have things gotten bigger than they were in the past? Uh, another that's a good question because you'd think maybe things have changed a lot, but they really haven't. Uh, Dunhill has been pretty consistent in terms of their sizing over the years. I mean, in other words, I've owned Dunhill ODAs from the 1950s when they first really hit the marketplace, and I've owned Dunhill ODAs from the 70s and 80s. And then they're all the same size. I've seen Dunhill okay. ODAs from the uh, from the 2000s, and they're basically the same size. So Dunhill has remained pretty consistent in terms of their sizing. Um, you know, they 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 produced what we call, and we'll get into that, larger pipes. But for the most part, their standard shapes are pretty much the same. And you know, it's an interesting point you make, Brian, about Jody Davis saying, "Oh, what a small pipe." Yeah. You know, if you go to if you go on eBay or any place like that and you look up the standard shapes like Samoy or GBD and you you'll see some of their older pipes or barling, they're all small. Yeah. They're all small, like the kind of pipes that you small in the sense that they're not they're not gigantic. But when you're an artesian pipe maker, generally you're making a larger pipe. I mean, so that that that's a critical thing. And I and I think the key is what you said before, and, and I always say to people, look, understand how long you want to smoke, how much do you want to smoke, kind of tobacco you're using, and then figure out dimensions that work for that tobacco. Because yeah. I myself don't care about group sizes. I don't care about anything other than to say, all right, what is, like, I, I did buy a Brad Pullman pipe. I always wanted one, and I got one at the, the, that auction that happened a couple of weeks ago. And um, I uh, I basically get, it's a .75, which to me is really, really a tiny opening. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and it's about, but it's almost like uh, it's about two and over two and a half inches deep. It's a very, you know, so, and I so I can get the capacity that I want if I pack it the right way. But, you know, you got to understand what you like. Yeah. So I, I've talked to people who said, well, you know, they've been smoking a .75 for years, and then they moved to a 7 days of an inch, and wow, it's so much better. You know, I mean, you, you don't know. You, so you have to experiment, and you find the, the size that you really like. That, to me, is a critical thing. Yeah, and I and I will say, you know, the – Pipes, pipes historically have gotten larger, especially since the uh, the late '60s and the early '70s with the with the import of the Danish freehand style, and you know you start looking at uh, Preben home pipes, and yeah, you know, before that, everything was these very elegant, very tiny, you know, billiards, bulldogs, whatever. And then you get these big fancy pieces of wood that are just magnificent. Or in the case of like Kamoys or GBD, you had the rare, very large pieces and the uniques. And even Sheraton had some very large, you know, catalog pieces that were, you know, <laughs> I don't know, you could use them as doorstops, but the predominant amount of pipes were what we would consider what I would consider now just to be a group two or group three. And that's what the guy had. And he stuck it in his pocket when he was done smoking it. That's it. And that's, and that's what people did. I mean, it's a different story. I mean, 
you know what's funny is if you take a look there's a um on the uh, on the uh, internet now there's a uh, um, uptowns put out um the great dane series of uh other uh tapes yeah the of, old uh, videos of different pipe makers and so on and and you know you take a look at uh you can take a look at the Banks, and you can take a look at the uh, Lars Iverson, Everson, and you can take a look at Yes Conovitz and so on. And basically, you know, you look at what those guys are doing, and um, they're not they're not making big pipes. No, you know, they themselves made fairly small pipes. You know, and so so again, it, it, it all depends on the, on the pipe maker. The American pipe maker, on the other hand generally made large pipes. Italian pipes were generally larger than the English, their English brothers by far. Yeah. And, and so Costello, you, you got, you got, well, and Costello is another one that had a size designation and still uses it today. Yeah. Costello had a, but they were before the 1970 when they switched over to a lot of handmade production before that they were, you had these weird things, they were they were different things SCCS size whatever it is, and they're all they're all but that's Carlos Coe's name. <laughs> but sometimes it's backwards, sometimes it's forwards, and most of those pipes are pretty small. They're they're like group four, group five. The old Castells and my friend Chuck Rio, who is no longer with us, unfortunately, you know he had he had a lot of early early Castells and they were small. Yeah. They were grouped. I mean, because that's what that's what that's what the Carlos Cody patterned his his original uh, pipes on were the old Dunhills. He liked the Dunhill. That was his thing, and so he made smaller pipes. And then things picked up. You know, when the when the when the when the Ascordi and Radici left Castello, they began making larger pipes. You know, and all of a sudden that was the style that became the rage in Costello adopted to that to that thing and they also made larger pipes you know they started to make larger but everything with all the with Costello in particular you know it's it's all a price price thing all right you know, now it's not for the collector. now talking about larger pipes i've yeah. had several people ask can rich tell us what dimensions a magnum is or better known as what you know, what dimensions do you need in a pipe before you, in order for you to consider it a magnum? Now that's a question that I'll I have to take a step back <laughs> Here to, my, to my early days when I was just a babe, <laughs> and uh, when I when I first began collecting pipes, which was in the in the seventies. Uh, mid 70s so it's been a while now um you know pipes are rather small compared mm -hmm. to what they are now i mean if you bought a if you found a pipe that was two and a half inches tall that was a rather large pipe at the time you know escorty pipes were um or, or escorty radici or caminettos when they said when they stamped them xl that was like Two and a quarter inches. That was an XL pipe, and maybe you might get something a little taller than that. But those are large pipes. So what happened is I began getting into Dunhills, and um, the word Magnum was basically used for for Dunhills. 
exclusively, like Dunhill Magnum. Well, what's a Dunhill Magnum? It's larger than an ODA. Well, okay. When I first got into it, I knew about, I heard about three or four, and that was all I knew about. And they were larger. They were like two and seven-eighths. One was almost three inches. And that was a magnet. And then I decided I wanted to start collecting them, and I discovered that, you know, a magnum from a Dunhill standpoint really was about a two and seven H to three inch. I know. Compare that to an ODA, which <laughs> is it's almost like a three quarters of an inch taller. So when you compare it to a Dunhill ODA, it's a rather large pipe. On the other hand, my friend, well, again, no longer with us, Bill Taylor, began his own little factory, and he started to make large pipes. In fact, they have his first ELX pipe that he ever made, and that's about the same size as a Dunhill Magnum. So we're talking about two and three quarters inches. So in general, that's the size. People, when I when I used to write about Magnums, that's the size of a Magnum. And then Bill Taylor decided he was also going to make a Magnum, but his Magnums, many of them, were much, much larger than that. All of a sudden, a three-inch pipe became standard, three and a quarter inches. He had he had a couple that were almost one was four inches only, made one four-incher. But he made other ones that were in the the mid three-inch range, three and a half inch range. Those are magnums. Now, can you compare those magnums, those giant size pieces, with the Dunhills? They are much larger. Yeah. So then, the, then the use of the word magnum, because it was a term of art, just that got diluted. Then all of a sudden, if it was a bigger pipe, it was a magnet. <laughs> and one, 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 as I was collecting, though, I noticed that there were some Dunhill's bigger pipes that were smaller than others. And I coined the term pocket magnet. That was my term. Like the pocket battleship. Pocket <laughs> magnet. And, uh, and so, so, but then, but then the term magnum just became used. You know, one fellow used the term like, "What's a mini magnum?" <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I have no idea, you know. But I mean, but the term magnum really right now does not have any real meaning per se, other than it's a larger than ordinary pipe. It's and usually, <laughs> there you know, you're starting at two and three quarters up. Is a freehand? Can you have freehand magnums? Yeah. But they weren't in, but but the magnum term was never used with those pipes until you know more re, in more recent days. <laughs> it's kind of like where does a where do where do jumbo shrimp start? Yeah, you know, I think it starts when they want to charge more for the regular shrimp. But <laughs> now you got it. Now the thing is also you know what happened. I just get a little aside with the, with Dunhill. So uh, Howard Smith, who was the curator. Yeah, and he was he was also in the Dunhill management of the uh, curator of the factory. He and I used to meet up when, when he when he came into Chicago, and I love talking to that guy. Really, really a knowledgeable individual. With it, and he he also used to bring a lot of like old catalogs, Parker's Dunhills, and he'd bring pipes for display. And I was able to hold them and look at them and examine them to really see what they're all about. And um, we got to talking. And I asked Howard, I said, Howard, how come you guys don't make a Magnum now? You can do it. He said, 
you know, you're right. And he got in, and he and they made the, the first modern Magnum, which came in a fitted case in 2003. It's a big bend. It's not a huge bend, but it's big enough. And then over the years, Dunhill is, is they, they don't call them Magnums, though. They always call them Giants. So a Dunhill Giant is something like two and three quarters up to, you know, maybe three and a quarter inch tall pipe. Over the years, they've made a few of them, not very many. So that's just an aside about Dunhill. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what are, just for you, when we're talking about your pipes that you that you like to buy, you want that minimum two and three quarter inch bowl depth. How wide of a tobacco chamber do you want? Well, you know, again, it depends because like I like Costello GG 65 shape, which is not a large, super large pipe, but generally they have very wide capacity. So the width of the, the width of the air of the chamber is important to me. And this is where people got to understand themselves. I mean, I'm talking about me, but mm -hmm. uh, how wide do you want your chamber to be? Now, I like a chamber that's at a minimum seven-eighths of an inch. And I have pipes that go up to oh, one and a quarter inches, but that's rare. It's not usual. But I like, I like, a, uh, I like that. And it's, it, it, it's what I call it. It's uh, right in between seven-eighths and one inch chamber that's a nice size chamber and if it's wide like that and it goes down about maybe just two inches or slightly under two inches that has you know, that has enough capacity for me and another on the other hand if a pipe is a seven eighths inch chamber it's got to be at least the depth has to be at least maybe two and a quarter to two and a half inches because for some reason what the way i smoke and the way i pack my pipe if what i what i do is if I if the if it's too narrow for some reason it burns a lot faster yeah. for me than if it's if it's a wider bore. So on those just me on those narrower pipes, do you pack it a little bit tighter, or do you pack a little? You know, do you alter your the pack that you would for the wider tobacco chamber? Yeah, that's a topic we could discuss like for days. Yeah. <laughs> Because I'm always interested in developing and in, and in perfecting my packing technique. Because I believe that the packing technique will be uh, for each pipe. And each pipe is a little different. It will have significant influence on how the tobacco tastes. So I, so want, instance, I, I want to interrupt you right here so that I can make a point to all of you folks that are listening that have, I don't know, you know, like 20 years of experience. Here is Rich Esserman, who's been smoking a pipe for over you know, close to 50 years now. Am I right? Somewhere around there? Yes. You're yes. still trying to perfect your packing technique, but go ahead. <laughs> yes, I'm still, I'm always, you see, because that's one thing I, I, vote, I, I, I learned long ago, you know, like I don't know it all. So I say my wife reminds me of that every day. <laughs> so, um, so, so she keeps me on my toes on that, in that respect. But seriously, you know, what I've discovered is that, um, you know, each pipe is different. And so even though I might have, uh, you know, so many Dunhill Magnums, so many big, big Costellos, that each one of them, I got to really understand how to pack that pipe. Yeah. Now, oddly enough, the larger the pipe, generally the lighter I pack it. 
because you got to get the airflow going. Mm-hmm. If you if you pack a huge pipe too tight, it'll it'll smoke for a little bit, then it goes out, then you got to relight it. On the smaller pipes, it's not so bad because you know if if I pack a pipe tight and it happens to go out a quarter of the way down, you know I could just stick the match real quick, boom, 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 it's relit. But on a larger pipe, you got to go into the bowl, which is dangerous. <laughs> and so I try to keep it loose, and I try to use my pick to pull tobacco away from the side to get air to go down underneath. But really understanding how each pipe is should be packed. I just had a discussion with this, oddly enough, with someone else the other day about how to, how to pack your pipe. And, um, you know, I'm constantly trying to figure out how to pack it so that I can smoke the pipe not and have it for the length that I want it to be, which is about one and three quarter hours to two and a quarter to two and a quarter hours long, without without having the pipe go out all the time, without having the pipe get really wet. You know, these things are these things are, are hard to figure, but you gotta really understand each pipe as you get. There isn't like one magic way to load a pipe up. Yeah. So it it kind of sounds like it's like um uh, it's like sex and podcasts. You know, the more you do it, the better you get at it, but not every episode is going to be wonderful. Well, that's true. But I'm, I'll say again, you know, I, I, I'm not going to get into this discussion about blending my own tobacco. Oh, right no, now. please. I, I Even I, I can't tolerate that with you because you're crazy, <laughs> but go ahead. But what I'm saying is, it's like understanding also what kind of tobaccos work for a particular pipe is mm-hmm. important. So, for instance, now, some pipes, so what I try to do is I'm, I'm looking at the, the tobacco, I blend it up. I'm looking at the bowl of that pipe. I have a Dunhill, which is a what we call, it's a Mr. Richard's signature pipe. So it's Mr. Richard Dunhill's signature. It's a really n- neat pipe, and it's the largest one of this particular thing. They only made six or seven of them that they, that, that uh, I've seen, I always wanted it. I was able to get it some years ago, made in about 1980. And the pipe, maybe the, it's, it's sort of a slanted, you know, top where one side, maybe two and a half inches, maybe, and the other side, maybe two and three eighths or a little taller. That pipe, for some reason, Brian, I could load that pipe up pretty tight. That pipe, I can get a two and a half hour smoke out of it if I, if I want it. I have bigger pipes that I can't get the same length of smoke. Now, why is that? I have no idea. The magic in the wood. So we will, uh, we'll finish this up here and say that, you know, wonderful, uh, rich. Thanks for coming on Uh happy new year to you and yours. Same to you, Brian. And I hope everybody has a, a happy and safe new year. And, uh, Hopefully next year we'll have a slightly better year. (laughs) And we'll be back in just a minute. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes. 
and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite, or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking Pipes, in faithful service of the hobby. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, remember, if you're interested in uh, nominating a master of pipes, go to the Chicago Pipe. Uh, go to the ChicagoPipeShow.com or Chicago Pipe Collector Show. A uh, couple of different ways they word it. So you can Google search it and find it and uh, make sure and nominate somebody. All right. For music, we're uh, getting a double dose. And we're getting a double dose so that we can finish off the holidays the right way. And this one comes in from Kirk. And it's a uh, punk rock band, Bad Religion. Um, and it's a, little, uh, it's a little different. And it's a little fun. But uh, here we go with, uh, with, first off, with Bad Religion doing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. on earth and mercy mild god and sinners reconciled joyful all ye nations rise join the triumph of the skies with the angelic hearts proclaim christ is born in bethlehem hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king christ the highest heaven Uh, Bad Religion off of their uh, Christmas Songs album from 2013. Uh, and now, shifting gears, we go to a song called uh, I Believe in Father Christmas, which uh, he, uh, he wrote in, uh, back in 1975. Uh, but this is performed live in a uh, church in London, along with uh, Pipe Smoker, Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull on flute. So you got Greg Lake of Emerson Lake and Palmer fame and Jethro Tull and a couple other musicians in here. And I hope you really enjoyed this.
They said there'll be snow at Christmas And they said there'll be peace on earth But instead it just kept on raining A veil of tears for the virgin birth But I remember one Christmas morning Winter's light and a distant choir And the peal of a bell and that Christmas tree smell And their eyes full of tinsel and fire They sold me a dream of Christmas And they sold me a silent night And they told me a fairy story Till I believed in the Israelite And I believed in Father Christmas And I looked to the sky with excited eyes and I woke with a yawn in the first light of dawn And I saw him and threw his disguise I wish you a hopeful Christmas And I wish you a brave new year All anguish, pain and sadness Leave your heart and let your road be clear They said there'd be snow at Christmas They said there'd be peace on earth Hallelujah, Noel, be it heaven or hell the Christmas we get, we deserve I believe in Father Christmas, uh, written by Greg Lake, performed there along with a couple other musicians and Ian Anderson and the church choir of the St. Bride's Church of Fleet Street in the city of London. And of course, thank you to Dino for pointing that song out to me. You've got mail. And remember, if you have a comment or question, you can post it right on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on Pipes Magazine, or you can email it to me directly, brian at pipesmagazine.com. 
Uh, either way, I'll get it. Uh, you can uh, follow the Pipes Magazine radio show on Facebook and send us a message there or follow me on Facebook or Instagram. You know, all those social things or as the cool kids call it, the socials. Yeah. All right. Uh, so going back to last week's show, the kickoff of Ask the Blender with Jeremy Reeves. Uh, Jay Everett wrote, uh, this is going to be great. I found my most favorite blend after hearing him talk it up on a Smoking Pipes video. Uh, Poplar Camp, which for me is just about perfect. I smoke 10 bowls a day of it sometimes. I'm really curious about how the blend came to be in the first place. Well, there you go, Jay Everett. If you want to, first of all, 10 bowls a day. Wow. Uh, but if you want me to ask Jeremy that question, just let me know. Uh, and then Dino says, the Ask the Tobacco Blender discussion with Jeremy was excellent. Lots of information and insight. I look forward to further episodes. John Barry's rendition of Oh Holy Night was lovely and quite affecting, and I love Christmas in any language. And then I'm going to butcher this because he signed off with uh, Kala Christiania Dino, which I'm sure is probably Greek for, uh, you know, Happy Christmas. So there you go, Dino. Happy Christmas. <coughs> and uh, catching up on some uh, messages... Uh, this comes from Vince. Vince says, uh, thank you, Brian and Kevin, for all that you do. It's been almost a year since I retired and thought a new hobby might fit the bill. I only have another dozen or so hobbies. I really was in need of another. Uh, the whole pipe lifestyle has pretty much taken over. It seems that it was only a few months ago I bought my first basket pipe. Fast forward a few months now, and I have well over 100 pipes and have sold well over another 50 or so. From Dr. Grabo's to Costello's to several vintage, many artisan pipes, and everything in between. I tend to be a little obsessive with things I like. I mostly purchase estate pipe lots, restore them, keep my favorites, and sell off the rest on eBay. After 42 years as a mechanic and working with my hands, pipe restoration has been a perfect fit, loving every minute of it. I owe a lot of gratitude to you for everything I've learned on your show. I listen to current episodes, but also have started from episode one, working my way up now on 178. Not only am I enjoying learning, uh, learning on your show, it also acts as a handy gauge as to how many hours I've spent on restorations. Your show is always on as I plug away in my basement workshop. Thanks again, Vince from the Great White North, Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Vince, welcome aboard uh, and uh, glad to have you. Uh, also happy to hear that you uh, keep up to date with the current shows and go back to and listen to the past ones as you're catching up. That's the way to do it. Uh, and then uh, Guy writes, and this goes back a couple months, uh, hi, Brian. Greetings from Scotland. I enjoyed your recent chat with Rich Esserman on identifying quality pipes. I haven't had the pleasure of attending a pipe show, and it would make a big difference to selecting a pipe, not to mention a whole lot of fun, too. I have, though, had the pleasure of buying a few pipes from a tobacconist in Hong Kong and being able to hold them. Recently, I had the pleasure of stumbling across a tobacconist that I long ago had walked past, and I visited them a few times and bought a few pipes, a Savinelli Champagne 701 Lavat and two Stanwells. The thing I enjoyed most about visiting the shop was the warm, meaningful conversations I shared with an elderly gentleman who served me. He also let me sit down and light up a bowl. Uh, the tobacconist is called... 
Tabakaria, Filipina, near Causeway Bay on Hong Kong Island, and he sent some photos along. I'd recommend any listeners in or heading to Hong Kong to visit this small 100-year-plus establishment uh, before it disappears, which is a real possibility these days. Uh, Anyway, he goes on to write some other stuff, but... uh, you know, if you've got a favorite brick and mortar that you want to talk about, you know, email it to me and let me know, and I'll uh, I'll mention them on right here on the show. Yeah, especially if it's overseas, where yeah, I really don't know much of what's going on. All right, once again, comments, questions, email me Brian at pipesmagazine.com. iTunes ratings and reviews much appreciated. And in just a moment, we're back on the rant times. There's nothing quite like a good book, or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. Most of you will remember that I don't like Ikea and I don't like fajitas. Why don't I like Ikea and fajitas? Well, at Ikea, all the furniture, you got to put it together yourself and you go through the big old warehouse and you pick the stuff out and they don't even... Anyway, I don't like Ikea because you got to go pick it out yourself and then put it together yourself and learn Swedish pictures and all that stuff. And I don't like fajitas because it's basically uh, Mexican food... Un, you know disassembled and you got to put it together yourself and i don't get the thrill of that you know what i get the thrill of getting a burrito or an enchilada or whatever and it's already done and all i got to do is eat it in fact you want to make me even happier cut it into bite-sized pieces for me uh well you know what lego has gone on my list now and here's why because we went shopping for some legos for some of our younger relatives and the idea of just buying a basic box of Lego blocks is almost impossible. You Lego is no longer a toy of imagination. Lego is now a model. It's models. That's it. And they you you get a kit and there's instructions on how to put the thing together. Well, I'm pretty sure that there's a factory where they can put that shit together faster and easier and ship it to me complete instead of having a 100-hour project or a 50-hour project or a 20-minute project, depending on the level of Lego, you know, the the level of complexity of the Legos. I remember the days when you used to just get, you know, the small bag or the big box of Lego blocks and you used your imagination and maybe you got, you know, an axle or something that you could put in there. I remember those days, but now if you go into a Lego store or go into the toy section and look for Legos, they're all basically models and you just assemble it yourself. So you may as well just buy a model. It looks like the real thing instead of a Lego. All right, I'm done. There you go. Uh, once again, keep those comments and questions coming. Uh, ask the pipe maker if you got a uh, topic that you want Rich and I to cover and uh, ask the tobacco blender. Keep those coming. Thank you to uh, Rich for joining me. Happy and safe new year to everybody. And thank you all for tuning in. Until next time. Bum,
Bombadida, 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 When we're together Just sing a song And think about sunny weather Happy trails to you Happy New Year. In this country, we say Happy New Year. Ha ha!